0: Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest To find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Clemmie Telford. Clemmie's an author, influencer and curator of the Mother of All Lists blog, a collection of lists about parenting and beyond. She's also the host of the podcasts Honestly and But Why? both of which take a refreshing look at uncomfortable topics and tricky questions by having honest conversations with guests from all walks of life. Kermie Telford, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch.
1: Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay, you know. The sun is shining after, this is not in a metaphorical way, in a real life way, the sun is shining after quite a few days of very grey weather, so I'm, I'm grateful for that.
0: Good, good. Is it okay, Clemmy, with you if I start by asking if you can tell me about a significant death that you've experienced in your life?
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, that's a, is a big starter question, is it? But there's no way to avoid it. Yes, the the one that, in fact, there's two, which I feel like kind of work importantly together. One that immediately sprung to mind is I lost a family friend. He was 21 he died of malaria he'd been to Ghana on a gap year and from what we can work out given away his malaria medication to local children and came back to the UK and then um contracted malaria and and the bit that was very difficult well all of it was difficult but he was in hospital and it looked like he was going to be fine and none of us quite appreciated it, it was very serious and then sadly he died but um I was two years older than him, I think, 23, and definitely at that age where you feel utterly invincible and then for that to be taken away was, yeah, unbelievable. And as I say, was a family friend, so it's that situation where I missed him as a friend, but I missed him as in a kind of family way as well. So that was hugely significant. And then the the second death, which is also important to me, is that my granny died actually in the beginning of 2020 and she died aged 100 at home surrounded by her family and had what I would consider as near to the the, the perfect death that you can have. So I often kind of hold both of those experiences in my mind at once.
0: Just going back to um, your family friend when you were younger, and he was very young. and you said there that actually it wasn't expected and no one, you know, he was unwell, but no one expected it. No one realised it was that serious. Was there any conversation, do you think, going on about the potential that it could be serious?
1: Not really. I think because he was, he was young and, yeah, statistically, he looked like it should be great. There, there, there really wasn't. And also, I think generally when some people young people go traveling and and we do know that there are tropical diseases that you can catch you again you feel like it could never happen to you so no, there was very limited conversation and then afterwards his family were amazing because we're close to them we were able to be very close in that grieving process so I didn't feel yeah so I felt that we had the ability to really experience it alongside them which I'm forever grateful for Um, But it was that that first experience for me of grief where you, the person that you want to make you feel better with the grief is the person that has has died, which is a, a very confusing thing to first navigate.
0: With your grandmother, what sort of conversations were happening around her sort of end of life? I mean, had she been ill for a long time or was it something that happened quite quickly?
1: Do you know what? She hadn't been, but she was, she was a hundred. She was very old. So we always knew that, and, and actually often with these things, when you reflect, you then go, oh, they hadn't been quite themselves for longer than you realize. But um, we had got to the point where, well, luckily with my, sister-in-law is a doctor and she was able to read between the lines of what was going on with her care and in terms of what that said to us about where she was in the, in the process of dying I guess which otherwise you might I think it's easy to think it's not that far away when it really is where she was able to say to us that we're, we're on a um 24-hour window here and actually we had um well we had nurses and then we had hospice care there and they were really brilliant at at signaling to us when the point was where really nothing mattered anymore in terms of her medical care it was more about how we could enjoy being with her and really take advantage of that and you know I got to do all the things that you'd hope you want to do I had half an hour with her on my own and, and said all the things I wanted to say and thanked her and you know really at that point in someone's life, if 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 it is in these those circumstances, it's a strange thing where you're kind of willing them to have the guts to die. I think for me, that was the amazing thing that death so closely parallels birth, and there's such a leap of faith that needs to happen to get to that final bit. And I yeah, I feel really blessed for her and for us that it worked out like that.
0: Had she talked about dying, even, even maybe on a practical level? So what she wanted for her funeral, whether she wanted to be buried or cremated, or were some of those conversations happening?
1: They they had Lucy. I mean, she spent a long time trying to give all her stuff away to us. And, and again, that's so hard as family, isn't it? Because, yeah, I, I think maybe we should have acknowledged that a bit more and let her do the process. But when she had died... She had all her paperwork in order. She'd left notes in um, a folder saying, I want these things to go to these people, but if you don't like it, don't keep it. Don't let my belongings become a burden into your life. And then she'd put money aside with caterers. She'd literally done absolutely everything. All her bits and bobs were in order. And, and, you know, she'd reached 100. She'd met her great-grandchildren. I really feel like she was a proper case of she'd done all that she wanted to do.
0: I'm going to ask a question here focusing on um, having difficult conversations and so not necessarily linked to the conversations you might have had when your grandma died or the conversations you might have had when your family friend died but just thinking about any difficult conversations throughout life has the experience of having those difficult conversations influenced you in your career path where you facilitate and encourage open dialogue?
1: It's so funny because I, my, a lot of my work with my career is exactly that, is trying to navigate or inspire people to um, have difficult conversations. And then so often in my personal life, I'm like, well, Clement, you better live up to this. You better, you better do the thing that you preach. But I, over and over again, I'm reminded by if a conversation feels difficult, it's probably one that needs to be had. And again, like loosely in the subject of um, death, but talking about worlds, talking about money, talking about every aspect of it. it nobody wants to have these chats, um, or, or about health, or about conflict. But what I have learned is that human relationships are. If you, I'm into powerlifting, and to in order to um, grow muscle, you have to continually tear the muscle and then it regrows tear the muscle regrow that's how you get more muscle and and relationships are very much like that those difficult conversations that feel as if they're tearing a relationship actually end up being the things that strengthen it so the people that i have gone and had those chats with about whatever things and where you're going oh, i'm absolutely dreading it they yeah they end up the best relationships is what i find so yeah it's um an interesting it's an interesting mission to be on that's for sure
0: why do you think we struggle with the difficult conversations
1: because of that feeling i think we we are taught to be scared of of feelings of sadness of anger of any difficult feeling but actually again what i've learned is that all feelings are equal they're all useful they're all informative and actually you're never going to have a life which is just about happiness and joy and all that stuff we crave you've you've always got to have the other as well and we have to learn that just because we're feeling yeah stressed or angry or embarrassed that that isn't a bad thing it's just another feeling
0: I remember when my dad was dying back in 2017 and um obviously due to the nature of my work then you know I'm used to having some of those conversations um very different when it's with your own dad but and so we talked lots about death and dying and his wishes um and one day the district nurses came there was two district nurses who came to the house and uh, we'd had a conversation before they arrived because what we needed to do was talk to them about some of his care wishes because mm-hmm. we needed to get them documented in his medical notes so the district nurses arrived and me and my dad were sat there and they were kind of on the other side of the room and my dad my dad had said to me beforehand you start you start the conversation with them so I was like okay so I said to them um oh me and my dad today would like to talk about death and dying and they both completely clammed and just stuffing weren't confident in having that conversation mm. and were quite taken aback. So we did have it and we had it together and we had it quite gently and slowly and it lasted about 30 minutes. And one of them contacted me afterwards, um, you know, a few days afterwards, just to kind of say thank you for the support. And it wasn't something she was yet to do in her career. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? I think of course we would also make assumptions about healthcare professionals that they they find these difficult conversations okay to have but actually you know we don't know what's happening in people's lives either didn't no we?
1: that's it we're all showing up with all our own history and and our own vulnerabilities it's like we are all going to die so that is not always an easy place to sit is it?
0: So, Clémie as someone who uses their platform to start conversations about difficult topics, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone wanting to talk to their own loved ones about death?
1: I think what I'm learning is the younger we start those conversations, the better. It's the same with everything, actually. If we wait till the point when the conversation is acute, when someone is dying, when it needs to be had, it's so much more difficult to have. Whereas I've made a real effort that my my children came to my granny's funeral, for example. And as is the way with children, they are extremely curious about these things. They ask all the questions, and I answer them for them. And if that becomes the norm, then we're setting really good foundations for the rest of life. But. I mean, as I said earlier on, if a conversation feels difficult, it really means it's one worth having. And so often we forget what the ramifications of not having that conversation are. So whether that be being left in the dark when someone dies or if often these conversations happen because there's some conflict and that's the space where resentment and um, relationships breaking down happens. So it's really important to hold in your mind a difficult half an hour is so much better as you say that hard chat you had was probably 30 minutes max better than leaving it and and leaving these open-ended things that really have can have huge consequences
0: you mentioned talking to your children there and I, i was just thinking for people listening um who might be really struggling with having conversations with children either about terminal illness or death or dying um how do you go about that and how do you think it's best to go about that
1: some things that i've found helpful first of all from every professional i spoke to and from my own experience avoid using like analogies don't talk about people going to sleep and those kind of things because it's just confusing really you can stick as closely to the, the facts and the science of it and then often be led by the kids, because I didn't know how to pitch things appropriately for my children. They're nine, seven and four. So quite different places with mentally. But they be led by what they ask you. They know what the right pitch is for them and, and just give them what they need and expect that you'll probably have to have those conversations over and over and over again. But actually, that's a bit of a gift. You know, when when my kids go, where's great granny? Is she dead? Is she still dead? Did great granny die? Look, I don't want to face that reality but all they're doing is processing the same grief that we process which is like my brain can't comprehend that this person has died and they're just verbalising that but yeah we, we have to learn to sit, I say it again, with uncomfortable feelings because they're not bad feelings, they're just uncomfortable Some of life's questions are harder than others If you or a loved one are facing end of life or bereavement, Marie Curie is here to listen and help Call our free support line on 0800 090 2309 or start a web chat by visiting mariecurieorguk forward slash support. Do
0: you remember open conversations about death and dying when you were your children's age?
1: Absolutely not. The only thing I can think about is pets dying, which is often the first place you access that. And, you know, being told some kind of fantastical thing about where they've gone. And then I do vividly remember going, don't quite understand what I'm hearing now, but I'll try and unpick it in my mind, which is just, yeah. yeah. Language
0: around it's so important. Isn't it's it? so you know, important. Yeah, with, I mean, you know, I, I use the words death and dying, but, um, you know, as you say, some of those, for some people, some of the words can just be really abstract and mm. confusing.
1: Yeah. And it, you just you just have to practice it the more times you say the person has died the easier it gets and it is just such a huge part of life that and it's fascinating and again the reason I mentioned my granny's death I um, was hugely privileged that, that is how her life ended but it it can there are times when it can be an amazing experience and and um, really life-affirming so yeah it's important to talk about that
0: Do you have any tips on how to begin the conversation?
1: One thing is to check in with how you're feeling, because if you've got to have these big chats, like be well-equipped and I joke, but like, don't be hungry or tired or, you know, hormonal or give yourself the best chance of doing it because it just makes things so much easier. If you're feeling a bit more leveled, it's worth kind of rehearsing it a bit in your head and and noting down the points that you want to make and then as I said if you're specifically talking to kids be led by them ask them what they already know because you might be surprised they might I mean more often than not my kids seem to have a a fantastic comprehension of loads of things and so it gives you a much better starting point um to do that Mm
0: -hmm. and I think I think that's you know, some of that stuff about, you know, hopefully you can be somewhere where you might not be interrupted, where also depending who the person is, because you don't know how they're going to respond, that it's a safe enough environment if that's possible. You know, I mean, you might get some news when you're on your mobile phone, you're in the middle of the supermarket and you've got to share that. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, and I think, I think it's the beginning, it's the beginning, of the conversation that lots of people struggle with, certainly in our work.
1: But maybe that's what I was wondering as well, whether you give people the prep and say, look, I really want to have this difficult conversation with you, when would be a good time? Because none of us want to have that kind of rug pull, haven't got your wits about you, as you say, in the middle of the supermarket. And give, yeah, it's courteous, isn't it, to give people the way of doing it. And then often it's a strange tip, but sometimes going doing things like while well, going for a walk or sitting in a car again can help with that it it can help you there's some psychology about being side by side rather than like facing each other can sometimes help that as well
0: just gonna change track slightly so one of the aims of this podcast is to encourage people to talk about death and dying Um, because what we know in our work is that if people can plan um, I mean, it was interesting you earlier talking, making the comparison between um, death and childbirth. And, you know, I think we, we we know lots of planning goes into childbirth, but actually a lot less planning goes in to death. And um, so, as I'm saying, what we know from the people who we, who we meet through our work is that if planning and preparation has happened or conversations have happened, then um, often people can experience better outcomes and sometimes better bereavement outcomes as well for those left behind and I wondered whether you ever thought about your own death and talked about your own death
1: you know what I have I do think about it but I don't think I've talked about it and that exactly is a problem isn't it um because you always think oh well that's something that I'll deal with later in life and you know hopefully that is the case but yeah I haven't talked about it enough and I think what people don't also know both the death but and the funeral part there is actually a lot of room to have have it in a way that you want all being well you know you can I think we all have ideas of what things should be and um, learning that things can be how again much like what how you how you want them to be is really useful but my advice also would be there's really great places on social media now documenting like funeral care and navigating grief. And, and if you can bear it to kind of spend some time in those places because they can be really useful.
0: Mm. I think even some practical things can be a good way to start the conversation so um you know whether somebody uh, w- you know writing a will for example um and you know that can be a good lead in with some of the wider conversations yeah. and also when you do write a will you can even include some basic funeral wishes mm-hmm. in your will um which I didn't know until I came to write mine and I was just thinking back earlier when you were talking about um you know being younger and then the death of a pet um you know might be a first experience or you know it was one option. Opportunity: How children can start to develop an understanding about death and what it means. And I think even even sometimes, you know, a way of starting the conversation is if there's a death on television. And of course, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Mm. Recently, then that's one way of saying, "Oh, would you want that when you die? Mm. Or what would you want when you die? You know, do you want to be buried or cremated?" um and using some of those opportunities like the death of a pet or something on tv on a soap opera to to just have those conversations they don't necessarily need to be formal everybody sitting around the table we're going to have this intense 30 minutes
1: no and again what i've seen with my kids is that they actually have a really good idea of what they want because they haven't they're not saying it um based on some kind of expectation of them they just instinctively have a feeling yeah, about whether they want to be put in the ground or whether they want to be cremated, for example. And I, as I say, keep those conversations starting early and, and continue them, I think is really healthy.
0: Can we talk a bit about bereavement and grief and what's been helpful for you when you have experienced bereavement and grief?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, first of all, there's, a, again, some brilliant people doing brilliant work, yourselves included, but there's a podcast called Grief Cast by... Carrier Lloyd which is fantastic in that first instance of death that I talked about with uh, my family friend Harry I don't didn't have any comprehension of what of what shape grief was take but I do vividly remember that feeling when you go first go out in the world after experiencing it and everything seems different and the whole world is warped and you don't know how everyone doesn't know what you're going through but actually when in subsequent deaths I've now learned that 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 is actually a bit of a magic time because you there's very other than probably with birth there's very few moments when you have that real clarity about what is important in life and what isn't and i think yeah when i've experienced that again which is an awful time there's something going it's something very very raw and brilliant and it's like okay i can i can see what's important and then understanding there's that well-known um analogy isn't there the ball in the box and the the ball of grief is always in the box and in the beginning it's hitting the sides all the time and the grief never goes away but it gets it gets smaller and it only hits the side of the box less regularly and it's surprising that the grief even years down the line can suddenly come and hit you from nowhere but again I try not to shy away from that I, I kind of There's a couple of songs that remind me of Harry, that family friend, and once in a while I'll find myself like having a good old weep about him. But I think that's amazing. That means that I still feel the feelings for him, even almost 20 years later. So, um, yeah, it's a long process, but all the deaths that I've experienced have shaped me for the better. And I think that's kind of a, a useful way to frame it. If
0: possible. And I love that even years later a song might remind you and bring it back and you know I think that's because he's still with you and that relationship that continues even though somebody's died you know they, they talk about continuing bonds and um, so it sounds like podcasts music have been helpful things for, for you when you've been grieving and or friends of yours who, who who may have experienced bereavement and loss is there anything else for somebody listening now who might be going through their own bereavement that you think would help
1: you know what this isn't so much for people who are going through bereavement but it's for people who are close to those who are bereaving and again it's quite well versed but i think it's important Is to say the name of the person that you're grieving, because it's a strange thing We you have someone in your life you love and then they're gone and suddenly no one literally never says their name again. And much like flexing that muscle of the difficult conversation, when grieving, particularly Harry, the family friend, we make sure to talk about him all the time, talk about him in the you know as much as we want and so it doesn't become this um difficult thing talking about someone that's lost they just need to be part of conversations all the time and I think yeah that's it's the same thing isn't it we just because talking about a memory of them makes me feel sad doesn't mean I shouldn't do it it's it's a good thing
0: I completely agree with you. And I think the name thing's a really powerful one. And we ask that as well on this podcast. I usually ask it nearer the end. And I've picked up Harry's name, but I didn't get the name of your grandma.
1: Oh, Margaret, but I feel funny calling her Margaret because you wouldn't, it would be disrespectful. So I could only really call her granny.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing I think as well, isn't it? When we do refer to, you know, we might say a father or a mother or a granny or a grandma, but something different happens when we say their name, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's so important. It's so important. And I, um, I saw a really powerful quote on Instagram the other day it said sometimes I think about the moment when the last person that remembers me dies and I was just like oh wow like that's like the idea of when your legacy or when your existence truly ends I was like that absolutely blows my mind
0: well that is a lovely link to my next question because my next (laughs) question is about legacy I wanted to ask you what legacy meant for you and how would you like yours to be is it's if it's something that's important for you
1: it was really interesting actually I was thinking about this Um, I had Ed Miliband on my podcast and he said recently one of his kids had said to him I'm really glad you didn't become prime minister because you have been a present father, and that's such an interesting concept. It's like, what is his legacy? It'd be a greater legacy having been prime minister, but his actual legacy is to his children, and that really struck a chord with me. You know, my ultimate legacy is is in the way that I raise my children and the people I hope that they'll become. But of all the work that I do there are some things that might look like great achievements the stuff that means the most to me is when someone messages and said oh you've either made me think differently or you've made me do something often in relation I don't drink so if someone says oh I've decided to give up alcohol because of you or I've decided to go to the doctors because I've been struggling with mental health things because of something you made that's legacy for me it's like it will, it will become ingrained in their life and be part of this or in, and that absolutely nothing to do with me, but it's hopefully some kind of influence somewhere along the line.
0: Just before we finish, Clemmie, can, can I ask what it's meant for you today to come on the Marie Curie couch?
1: Uh, I mean, it's, it's a good um, test of everything that I claim that I stand for because when a, when an invitation like this comes through, I'm like, oh, well, am I going to put myself there? Am I going to think about this stuff? but although it's hard it, it's so useful and it again it kind of laser focuses even the way I go about my afternoon this afternoon she's like actually of the things I've got on my to-do list which are the ones that are important what really does add up to the big picture and it, it's so easy in the grind of day-to-day life to forget that so that's what it means to me it's, it's an important reminder of really what this is all about.
0: Clemie Telfer, thank you for joining me on the Marie Curie couch. It's been great to meet you.
1: Pleasure. It's been a really good chat. Thank you.
0: So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help from planning ahead. To coping with bereavement you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team which also includes specially trained nurses call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online the podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from ultimate sound and vision the music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye.